You're listening to The Purple Stethoscope. I am your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. None of the information provided in this podcast is intended to nor sufficient to diagnose your personal medical issue, but there is a lot to learn, so let's start the show. Monique, Dr. Balthazar, so glad to have you with us today to talk about sleep. Thank you for having me. Sleep is one of my favorite topics. I love sleeping. I hope you do too. I absolutely love sleeping, but I know for a fact I'm not getting enough sleep. I just want to ask um, up front, why sleep? You, you did your dissertation in sleep for your doctorate. Is that correct? I, so I looked at, for my, my the focus of my dissertation was understanding what impacts the immune system of people living with HIV. And that's still what my focus is. I still do research around people with HIV and I focus on sleep in people with HIV because that's one thing that really impacts your immune system. So for people in general, because some of our listeners may be positive, others may not be. And if we could just touch on sleep For a general overview, duration and quality, like what do we need to know about sleep? So the biggest thing is for adults, um, well, the biggest one, one big thing is that um, as we age, we need differing amounts of sleep as we age. So children need, children need more sleep than, uh, than uh, adults do. Um, and then older adults tend to need a little bit less sleep than, um, I guess, I guess once you hit age 65, you start needing a little bit less sleep. So in essence, the older you get, the less sleep you need in theory. So I would love to talk more about other age groups later on. We'll mm-hmm. have to do a part two, but for the focus for today, just an adult, let's say, I think most of our listeners are from 20 to 60. So that's kind of perfect because it's not the older adult, but it's also not the child. How much sleep should we be getting? So we need to be aiming for a minimum of seven hours of sleep a night and a minimum of seven. I, I would venture to say that most adults are probably looking closer to five or maybe six hours. But we want a minimum of seven, maybe up to nine even, if possible. Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) When is the last time you got seven hours of consecutive rest in a night? Right. So that actually brings me to my next question because I know I'm not alone in this. I often think that I can save up, you know, like skimp on sleep throughout the week and then sleep in on the weekend and kind of catch up, so to speak, on sleep? Is that just like a theory that we tell ourselves, or can you really actually catch up on sleep? Um, is it possible to catch up on sleep? I guess the, the thought behind that kind of differs based on who you're speaking to. Overall, yes, it's possible to catch up on sleep. No, we are not catching up on sleep in most cases. So, <laughs> Got it. So if Got you it. think if you think about you are chronically so if you're supposed to sleep seven hours a night you're sleeping five hours a night and then on the weekend you're gonna sleep maybe eight hours and you think you're catching you have not caught up you are you are still in sleep debt so um so what's happening for most of us is um 
it's, it's, yeah, we just we just aren't. We're we're chronically sleep deprived, and that has that has a, a consequences in a lot of different ways in a lot of different areas in our lives. From the topic of health and wellness, what are some of the consequences of being chronically sleep deprived? Um, so we can talk about mental acuity. So um, mm-hmm. there, we know that when you are sleep deprived, um, even if you think that you are, your brain is as sharp as it is when you're not sleep deprived. Um, researchers demonstrated over and over again that you are not as sharp. So you're not um, reacting as quickly. You're ma- you're more prone to make mistakes. Um, people who do shift work are a really good example of this or people who work really, really long hours. So think doctors and nurses who are working overnights several hours in a row. Um, right. There's just a lot of um, a lot of evidence to that points to um, just the sorts of of mistakes that you would make that you wouldn't make um, if you had enough sleep. So there's the mental acuity piece. And then there's also the emotional piece. There's a lot. There are higher levels of anxiety, um, higher levels of depression associated with that, um, with not getting enough sleep too. With sleep, so not necessarily our environments and what's going on in our lives, but just the simple fact that we're not getting a sufficient break from all that? Correct. So just not having enough sleep is going to impact your mood adversely. You know, I can identify with that because I'm like a two-year-old. When I don't get enough sleep, you know, I'm just so easily, like, emotionally tearful or snapping at people. And I never really think of it. I used to not think of it as associated with sleep. But as I've grown older, I've noticed, like, I am not popping off the scene when I get a good eight hours of sleep. Right. So what you're, you're describing is, um, like, acute sleep deprivation. So it's just, like, a short period of time you've not had enough rest and you're noticing the impact of your mood. Um, I think right. that what we don't notice quite so so well or so readily is the impact of chronic sleep deprivation because it feels like it's just a little bit at a time. But yeah, that impacts your mood significantly. There's something to it when people say, you know, if you're upset, just go take a nap. There's, there's something to it. Oh, I love that. Okay. Well, I know our listeners are trying to be healthier, trying to promote their health and avoid, you know, um, developing disease or progression of disease. What are some of the actual health-related diagnoses associated with sleep deprivation? So um, not sleeping enough affects our metabolism. So there's a lot of obesity associated with um, chronic sleep deprivation. So we know that it can affect your heart health. We know that it can affect your the management of chronic diseases. So if you have a, a chronic illness like diabetes or high cholesterol, those things are going to be adversely affected or um, negatively impacted if you're not getting enough mm. sleep. You know what I'm hearing? Because diabetes, we know, is a hormonal or endocrine disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, obesity has a lot to do with hormones as well. Correct. So there's some hormonal imbalance that we're throwing ourselves into just by not sleeping, it sounds like. Correct. Yes, that's absolutely correct. So there, so when we're talking about metabolism and how sleeping, um, how you sleep affects your metabolism, um, you know that our metabolism plays a huge role in our level of energy throughout the day. It plays a huge role in our, our weight 
if our metabolism is slowed down, um, then we are going to put on more weight. But so there are a lot of so yeah, all of these things are it's it's one giant web at the end of the day. Wow, wow, that's that's incredible just to know. You know, we we act like these things are just happening. Like unfortunately. You know, one out of four children is going to be a diabetic in their lifetime. Or unfortunately, you know, Americans are getting bigger and bigger. And we, we kind of look at it like it's this, you know, thing that we don't really have any control over. Because I think as a nation or as a culture, um, we have so many distractions. Like there's always something to be looking at, to be listening to, to be watching you know, people brag about Netflix marathons and I watched 17 episodes of the show like mm-hmm. over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, back when I was sleeping good, when I was younger, I, I know there just, there just wasn't that many distractions. So when it comes to like turning off the things that keep us awake or, you know, in medicine, we call it sleep hygiene. But for people who aren't in medicine, we're talking about screens and phones and, you know, the really screens, um, but but other things. How can we start to kind of create a routine of pulling back and, and giving our bodies time to prepare to even go to sleep? So, you know, that's that's kind of a, not a loaded question, but there's, there's layers to that question as well, right? So, um, yeah, we do, we do need to get into the view. We are... Um, a society right now that is chronically connected to everything and everyone. Um, and we do need to learn how to disconnect, um, not just for sleep health, but for health period, for our mental health, for our sanity, just to kind of check in with ourselves. Um, yeah. But also, um, I think that there is just a lack of, unfortunately, there's just a lack of foundational understanding about uh, the consequences of always being connected. So um, uh, there was a research study that showed that just having the TV on in your room while you're sleeping. So there are a lot of people who tend to sleep with the TV on, even if it's on mute. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, because the flashing from the screen. But even, but just even that is associated with waking. Just, just that. I hope... Did you guys hear that, listeners? Okay. Just having the TV on, even if it's on mute, is associated with waking. Right while you're it's, sleeping. So, so like this. So yeah. So like there are those sorts of things where it's just like there's there's just some foundational right. information that we don't have. I think a lot of people would would change habits if they understood the impact that it was having on them overall. Um, so. So a good place to start is not having a TV in your room. And that's a lot easier said than done. I get that. Um, but if, if removing the TV from your room isn't an option or isn't something that you feel comfortable, like it's too big of a move right now, just making sure that it's off. And I would say off a good hour before you're planning to go to bed. So you're going to need that time to kind of calm the spinning of your mind and, and prepare mm-hmm. to, to get to rest. Right. The same thing with the phones and the iPads. If you're staring at a screen before bed, you're not going to get a restful sleep. It just... Okay, hold on. 
You took away the TV. Now you said the phone too. I, I mean, I know. And and I and I need I need the world to know that this is not easy for me either. I no. I personally I am a sleep scientist and I struggle with this myself. I am a millennial who is addicted to being connected as well. So I get it. Um, but yeah, and and, wow. and I would go so far as to say we especially at bedtime we should maybe move towards not having iPads and computers and phones in our rooms at all that's extreme I personally don't do that but I am very intentional about making sure my phone is on silent and in a drawer and not disturbing me while I'm asleep got it so I want to interject something here um kind of personal but it was it took me years to get to this point of being able to turn my phone off at night. Uh, I never used to have my phone on at night. I never, you know, 90s, early 2000s, I just wasn't this connected. And um, one particular night, I lost a loved one, someone very close to me. And it was several days later in the whirlwind of things when I finally checked the voice messages on my phone and there was a message uh, a message that would have got the information to me maybe 12 hours sooner that this person had passed. And at that moment, I, somewhere in the subconscious of my mind, that was the day it all changed for me when my phone stayed on all the time. I didn't turn it off. I didn't turn it off at night. It was on during the day. I was always checking it. And it, it's kind of, for me, it's frustrating um, we've talked previously, we both practice yoga and I can't stand it when my phone rings while I'm, you know, or buzzes while I'm in the middle of a of yoga or a flow. Uh, but that, that's just how deep and impactful it was for me. And I had to dial back and say, okay, Devin, had you received that phone call 12 hours earlier, what would have changed? And honestly, Monique, what would have changed is I wouldn't have slept that night. And that's, that's the it. Truth. Everything else would have happened. The loss, the trauma, the everything that was to follow. And so for me, it was a, a moment of like, you're not God. You can't do anything with a phone call. <laughs> and so now I'm much better about silencing my phone and, and not being on it at night. But I'm going to get even better yet after hearing this. So I want to kind of lock into three habits or three actionable steps that listeners can take. You gave us one really hard, but also really great one. Removing the TV from our bedrooms or turning it actually off, not just on mute, but actually off one hour before bed. Um, phones too. And then you said iPads and computers. And now, now we're sitting here. We're not tired. I think this is something that I hear from patients all the time too. When we talk about sleep hygiene, they say, well, it's hard to turn it off because I'm not tired. What am I supposed to do when I'm, you know, the, the TV's off, the phone is off, I'm disconnected and I'm and my mind's spinning. You know, I can't just lay down and go to sleep. So what do we do with that space between shutting things off and actually falling to sleep? I think it's a great time to pick up a book and read a couple of pages um, and it's also a really good time for just reflection and meditation, some deep breathing, and just preparing your mind and body 
to slow down and, and rest for the night. So books don't interfere in the same way as the television and the screens. Not as far as I understand it. Um, what about audiobooks? I imagine that the audiobooks won't be an issue either, listening to something. I think the bigger issue is the the stimulation um, of the the TV, the sound, the visuals, all of that just keeps your mind stimulated. Whereas um, a book is a, a little bit more soothing. And how about music? My husband does this thing. Um, he has his phone set on sleep. And so he'll start playing like a playlist and music and it automatically goes off after a certain amount of time. I mean, is something like that okay for those of us who really aren't used to just sitting in silence just quite yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, I think the idea is to make sure that you're soothing yourself yourself and not ramping yourself up. And I think that we know the difference between the music that we play to get pumped up at the gym versus the sort of right. music that's going to help us <laughs> relax so that we can go to bed. Yes. No little John. Going, right. Going to sleep. <laughs> right. I mean, un- unless little John puts you to sleep, then I mean, if, okay. he, if that happens for you, then sure. <laughs> so that's one thing. Um, can we, I, I want to give people, you know, a couple of three things that they might be able to do. I kind of think about food. This is something that uh, comes up often in clinic as well. What are your suggestions or, or what does the research say about eating and going right to sleep or how should we be timing our, our dinner meal or our last snack for the day to where we're not going to get hungry because, you know, a lot of us eat out of boredom. You know, there's nothing else to do, so we're reaching for some snack um, that keep us satisfied but not going to bed hungry or going to bed too full. So um, also note uh, that we tend to overeat because we're chronically fatigued as well. So sleep deprivation also, I mean, it's, it's an attempt at um, trying to claim energy that we haven't gotten through rest. So there, there is a portion of that as well. Um, so as far as meals are concerned, I think there's just a lot of varying opinions about how to time meals and what to do. I think what is what we are fairly consistent around is we're not going to be eating anything or consuming anything that's going to stimulate us. So um, anything high in sugar or caffeinated is probably not a very good idea in the hour or two before you're going to bed. Um, if you are a person, I'm, I personally am a high metabolizer, so I I tend to have a snack by my bed um, in case I do get hungry and I, I, it's a handful of almonds and I'm good, you know? So something, something like that probably um, is okay. I know that there, there, there are a lot of different schools of thought and there are people who say you shouldn't eat past 6 PM and whatever. I, I I think (laughs) those are the people that set us up for failure and (laughs) end up binging and then going to bed. So I'm not, listen, I'm not here to pass judgment on anybody. I'm here to say, let's not have a two liter of Pepsi or a cup of coffee in the hours before we're going to bed. Let's, let's not, let's not, you know, probably having a huge slice of cake or binging on Oreos or something that is going to 
rev you up is not the best idea when we're trying to, to soothe, soothe, soothe ourselves down. I worked with a trainer who uh, also recommended almonds, also recommended like a boiled egg. Mm-hmm. an hour before you know going to bed or something like that but basically it was like higher protein less sugar less right. fatty foods right so um so the idea is um to protein tends to keep you fuller a little bit longer than um carbohydrates do we tend our bodies tend to process carbohydrates a little bit faster so if you're eating a handful of nuts Nuts are are um, are fatty, but they're a healthy sort of fat, so it's good for you. And then they also tend to have a little bit more protein in them. And so for me, that's bet- a better snack than um, I don't know eating popcorn or something like that, where I'm I'm not really going to be satisfied. I'm going to need a whole bag of popcorn instead of a handful, and I'm probably still going to end up being hungry in an hour or two. I'm so glad you said that because you just hit on my number one snack. I love popcorn. popcorn. I oh. love it too, but you're so right. I never have one serving of popcorn. <laughs> no, like what is a serving of popcorn? It's a tease. So, yeah. so. The other thing that you said that I thought was really good was about protein and healthy fats versus bad fats. I recently had a patient in clinic and we were trying to get their HDL or, um, up, you know, mm-hmm. their good cholesterol, trying to raise it. And they said to me, oh, nuts are okay. There was a big misconception that all fat was bad fat. So they were doing everything, reading the labels, you know, making the good low-fat, low-sodium choices, but not recognizing that all fats are not created equal. And nuts are, are good fat mm-hmm. um, and, just, and just absolutely fine to consume. Yeah. I want to recap what you said right at the beginning because this was so powerful to me. I wrote it down. Um, we overeat because we're chronically fatigued and trying to reclaim energy we lose from not sleeping enough. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so um, when we're linking chronic fatigue to obesity, it's it's layered. Um, so it's not just the fact that you're not sleeping enough and that's affecting your metabolism, but you're in addition to negatively impacting your metabolism, you are also more inclined to eat more food. Um, So you're, you're impacting your health in both ways. And most of us who are snacking are not snacking on celery sticks. For, for those of us who are snacking on celery sticks, more power to you. I hope to be you one day, but (laughs) most of us, Right. Most of us are not are not doing that. So we're not making the best choices. Um, And so in that way, it's a double hit on our health. It's a double hit on us physically. Um, And then when we're not eating good foods, that's also impacting our mood. So we we are it's it's this cycle that we're creating for ourselves. Um, And I also I also want to just address, to be fair, that it genuinely is a privilege to be able to sleep seven hours in a night. I know that (laughs) I know that there are plenty of moms and dads who haven't seen five hours in years. Um, And I know that there are people who are 
working multiple jobs and doing shift work and running back and forth and using public transportation and probably aren't even home for seven hours consecutively. Um, so I, I, I recognize that it's a privilege um, to be able to sleep as, as that much. Um, and it's not an option for everybody. Napping throughout the day um, is a good way to try to supplement what we can't make up overnight. That is also a privilege. I get that. I understand. I don't want anybody to hear this and and think that I'm living in la-la land. Um, right. So, um, but it, it is it is something that we can do to try to help make up for our sleep loss in the night if and when possible. You know, that that's so powerful because what, what I find a lot of the times working with patients is they try something and if we find it not really accessible for our lifestyle, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, I tried that, it didn't work, so I can't do it anymore. But you're actually saying, like, when you are able to. So, you know, if you work two jobs and one day you only work that one job, maybe that is your night to turn everything off and sleep until you wake up naturally and on your own. That's a practice, too, that I have implemented on, on the mornings that I don't have to get up and be somewhere. And yes, these mornings are few and far between, but when I know that they're coming, I make sure all the alarms on my phone are turned off and let my body like wake up when I naturally would want to wake up. And there have been times, Monique, I have been shocked. Like, I just slept until 9 o'clock in the morning. I'm up at 5 every day, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. So when I do that and I actually sleep until nine, I wake up and I feel like a new person. So I'm really glad that you included, you know, when you're able to get it, getting it. Yeah. So I, and I think, I think that seven hours is a lofty goal. So, and like you said, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you are right now sleeping four hours a night and all you can do is make it to four and a half, Get four and a half. Progress. Right. Do what you can. Pour into yourself in the way that you can. But there are but but there are small things that you can do to um make sure that the sleep that you're getting at night is good quality. And those sorts of things are getting getting putting away the devices, turning them off, silencing them, um, and trying to cut back on noise and trying to minimize the, the amount of light that you're exposed to. So having lights on in the house, um, we get for little ones, they pr- probably prefer that a little bit, but minimizing those sorts of lights as well um, is going to help to improve the quality of the sleep that you're getting when you're getting it. Um, curtains really make a huge deal. Honestly, the blinds are, I mean, there are entire research studies about just putting the, the, the benefits of just putting up blinds for people so that they can get better sleep rest. So something That's, to consider i'm writing over here like i'm in a college course <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm so grateful to have had you an expert in sleep research at dr monique balthazar and my did i say it right this time <laughs> balthazar yeah i'm very impressed i'm always impressed when somebody pronounces my name right <laughs>
Oh, I think that's huge. Yeah. yeah. And um, I know that this topic, we could talk about this on and on, but I'd love to have you back just to talk about pediatric sleep in general, uh, just them by themselves. Would you be willing to come back? A lot of us are parents and talk about sleep with our kids and how we can set them up well. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, I think good sleep habits start when you're young. So uh, yes, yes, definitely. Because, you know, um, we already know that uh, poor sleep in kids um, is associated with increased suicidality and substance use and risky sex behaviors. And so if we can get those good sleep habits in early, um, we could probably, we could make a huge difference in, in our kids' lives. I am so excited for part two of this conversation. I know I'll be going back and listening to part one a couple of times. Hey, listen, I got book ideas for you and even documentary ideas for you. You could write The Sleep Diet. <laughs> <laughs> who, who would not want to do that diet? Right. And then what did you say? Oh, yes. Curtains over blinds, the documentary. <laughs> well, over it, it's, it's about minimizing what what they say in the science world we call it light pollution so we're trying to minimize the light pollution so i love that i love that thank you so much for these great tips no problem Uh, and we're excited to have you back um we will come back and talk about pediatric sleep you guys so thank you dr balthazar and you're welcome connect with you at a later date okay sounds great Thanks so much for tuning in to The Purple Stethoscope. I'm your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at D, the NP. That's at symbol D like Devin, the NP like nurse practitioner. If you like what you've heard today, go ahead and share the episode or even better yet, rate and review. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.